This week on the Attitat Show, we're cutting through the digital noise with Dave Morgan of Simul Media, who's just landed from Ukraine with tales of tech under fire. Expect insights sharper than a hacker's wit and stories of resilience that redefine uptime. Dave's going to unpack the ad tech frontier where the stakes are high and the bandwidth, literally, a matter of survival. Ready for a session where Silicon Valley meets real Valley survival skills and discover why resilience might just be the next big disruptor? If so, hold on to your mocha latte and learn more than you did yesterday. Welcome aboard the Adotat Show, where marketing, media, and ad tech converge. Fasten your seatbelts as your host. PSAP Latin steers you through the digital world of advertising trends and marketing innovations. Deserve to win when it matters most. Facing multi-billion dollar bet the company litigation? No problem. That's why we're here. Troutman Amin. LLP is a true legal powerhouse. I'm your host, PSAP Latin, and joining us today is Dave Morgan, chairman of Simul Media. Simul Media or Simul Media? Simul media, like simultaneous. Simul media. Okay, simul media, spontaneous. A trailblazer in the advertising, marketing, and ad tech landscapes with decades of leadership experience. Fresh from his insightful journey to the Ukraine, Dave brings you a new perspective on the intersection of technology, business, and social responsibility amid changing times. Let's get started. First of all, Dave, how are you doing? How am I doing? I'm doing great, thank you. I think with everything going on in the world, I have a, a lot to feel fortunate about. Um, the Ukraine has been celebrated for its vibrant tech talent, especially in AI, which you've noted. But it's, it's not just surviving, but it's thriving. How, can, how are Ukrainian tech professionals continuing to innovate during this period of conflict? Well, I think, um, I think there's a few things that are, that, that are helping drive the strength of the, the tech community in Ukraine. Number one is, is the breadth and depth of talent. Um, Ukraine graduates among the second or third most number of engineers of any country in the world on an annual basis and has been for a long time. So they have pretty extraordinary talent there. Number two, always been a really strong project management discipline and building discipline in that culture. And, and, and that's, and I think that's helped. And then number three, it's existential. I mean, they've, they've, they're now two years into the full invasion um, by Russia. Um, it's been 10 years since the 2014 invasion, and they're fighting for their lives. They're fighting for their nation. And the people that to keep some degree of normalcy in the nation and the tech industry knows that that's what they've got to do their part. And so that's, that's given them um, a focus, a resilience, an intensity that is, is helping power them through this. Can you give an example of a project that you saw or an innovation that encapsulates this type of resilience you've seen? Well, yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is that um, they've had their, their infrastructure and power grid massively damaged many times over the last two years. Yet the uptime of across all of the major IT infrastructure companies is at the highest level it's been in 10 years. And it's as much because... They also know how to operate in a decentralized basis. They use, they have home internet. I mean, Starlinks were, were pushed in there a lot very early on. Um, um, Musk is a bit of a controversial figure there because he's playing both sides. But, um, you know, they have been able to maintain an extraordinary amount of uptime on their tech work. 
what, what specific challenges do these tech professionals face and how are they overcoming them? Well, I think the biggest challenges are to, um, I, I think it's actually the biggest challenges are outside of their country, as I think of it. The biggest challenges are to, um, to main, continue to maintain the support and the trust of their clients and partners around the world. It's very easy for large companies to um, suspend IT contracts and development contracts with people that are in the middle of a war. It's, you know, it seems logical. They're worried about interruption of service. But um, the, the data belies that. Actually, they've done an amazing job keeping all of their infrastructure working. And I think that's the biggest problem. I mean, it's, it's obviously, it's not just their tech partners and clients. It's also um, Western militaries and Western politics who, um, who you know, don't recognize the immediacy of the moment and how, you know, and, and how much they need our help. Um, I assume this has affected uh, the, the, the viability of Starps in Ukraine, especially in terms of funding. It, it has. It has. I think that um, um, there, is, there is still, I was at um, IT Arena, which is a, was in its 10th year as one of the most important events for startups um, this past October. There were amazing startups. There is there is a certain amount of capital in Ukraine for tech startups. There is a, quite a bit actually across Europe. So the fundings are happening. But as you would imagine right now, the area that is really attracting most of the funding is really driven by necessity in defense tech and military tech. Um, so I, I noticed there's a firm like C, CFC Big Ideas. How... How do these communication firms uh, contribute to the um, efforts for the Ukraine resistance? So what they're doing is um, you have these firms that very much have been part of promoting the tech industry, both within Ukraine and across the world. Um, they're doing what most are doing there, which is they're volunteering a lot of their efforts and energy um, to the government. And so CFC Big Ideas right now, for example, is... Um, is supporting the uh, Ministry of Strategic Industries, which is helping, which is helping the private uh, industrial sector of Ukraine, and also particularly in its defense industry. Um, much like you would expect if this was happening in the United States, and if we were un undergoing an invasion, the private companies are looking to what they can do to volunteer um, and donate their services first, and then are working um, secondarily to be able to, to, to support commercial clients. Um, is there anything that you've seen that you observed that could be lessons for the global tech community? Yeah, I think the, um, the, the, you know, the, the, the capacity to deal with um, planning, the capacity to deal with disasters, to deal with interruption. Kharkiv, which is in the Eastern Ukraine, which was one of the first major cities lost in the, the full invasion two years ago, is also the most important tech hub in Ukraine. Kiev and Lviv are cities we know a little bit more, or Odessa. But Kharkiv is where the top tech universities are. 80% of the people in Kharkiv and also in Kherson um, had to be relocated. And I sat with some of the largest IT services firms, Data Art, um, uh, Sigma, and they became people logistics firms. They were moving families around. They were setting up temporary housing. They were setting up commercial kitchens. They were buying setups for their people to be able to work from home and not have to be able to take going to commuting 
um, environments which were which were unsafe, and and the, their capacity to adjust and become um, vibrant sort of support infrastructure for their employees in the middle of a war was was shocking. And I think that we don't recognize sometimes how much um, we depend on normalcy for what we do in our business and we lose some of the resilience and flexibility. And I think as we've seen what happens when we get natural disasters, we tend to have a lot of parts of our, you know, parts of our country, some of its infrastructure shut down. I think we can learn from the importance of preparedness and the importance of having the government entities available and ready to manage some of that preparedness for us. I, I just read a report uh, yesterday from the intelligence community that Russian disinformation is at an all-time high this year. What, what, what technology can be leveraged to combat disinformation uh, more effectively? Well, this is, this is probably the most important um, element of the war, which is Russian disinformation, misinformation that's being um, projected into, into places like the United States and the other Ukrainian allies. Um, there's, a, there's a number of things. One, um, critical thinking. I mean, the best defense would actually be critical thinking um, and being able to actually question and try to interpret what we're hearing and what we're seeing. Um, it's a recognition that it's going on. Certainly the technology community has a lot of tools for us to be able to establish where these signals are coming from, how they are using, how they're using bots, agents on different social media to transmit them. We saw this with Facebook and the Russian election interference before we've certainly seen how they're leveraging um, a lot of parts of of Twitter or X.com um, today, um, but I I actually think we don't lack for technology to combat information and misinformation. I think I think we lack the the common sense critical thinking that we actually all have to have as members of society to question the information we're getting to recognize the echo chambers sometimes that it's coming from are problematic and and to be on guard. Right. You've been a big proponent of international companies actually engaging in Ukrainian firms. What immediate opportunities do you know of right now that Ukrainian firms can offer companies here? Well, first and foremost, AI. I mean, the large language model was largely developed um, in Ukraine 25 years ago. So, so Ukraine possesses the scientists and engineers that have more more AI experience than almost anywhere in the world. And so the capacity to hire the firms like Data Art or Sigma or SoftServe to be able to provide those on an outsource basis or work develop directly with developers. We've started building out our own office in Lviv. Um, that's right now. I also think areas that are really important, design, growth, marketing, where you need new thinking. Um, so much of it happens there. I've talked to people. We just hired a growth marketer in Kyiv. And one of the roles he was doing before was working for a Ukraine marketplace that, that sold essay writing. 100% of the customers were American students and 100% of the suppliers were American students. But they were able to build a marketplace because of cleverness, business acumen, and basically going there and doing it. And so I think all of the core problems we're trying to solve in the tech industry and ad tech, we can do in Ukraine and we can make a difference in the world doing it. What are specific regulatory and logistical difficulties when doing business in the Ukraine? Um, from a regulatory standpoint, there is virtually none because they've, re, they've structured 
their industries, which they'd already started before the full, the full invasion, um, to have a very open, very clean contracting capacity. Uh, they also have an ability to create entities that are taxpaying entities that are very low cost called Dia Cities with a very low uh, tax structure. So it's very easy to operate there. It's probably one of the most efficient and regulatory free environments I have ever seen. And as I'm told, next to Estonia is probably the most digital government that exists in the world. What about companies that come to you and they say they're really worried about the instability? How can you ensure them that their relationships will be long term? Well, I think that um, uh, you probably can't guarantee anybody that relationships are going to be long term anywhere. And when it comes to political stability, probably, you know, even in the U.S., we, we just have to look at ourselves. So I think that um, I think that, you know, no matter what happens in the Ukraine in this war, um, it is going to be a long war. It is going to be a draining war. But there's no question that the Ukrainian people are going to be there and their intellectual capacity, their hard work, their work ethic, their resilience to get things done isn't going away. And actually, it is in times of need like this that actually you can make a difference. And not just a difference because it's the right thing to do, but because it's really good business. I think to the extent that someone cares about long-term stability and relationships, this is the best time to do it with, with people that will really value that. I know behind all these technological stories and the business achievements are personal stories of resilience. Is there anything that you could share that highlights the human spirit? You know, one of my, in my first visit there, I've been to Ukraine now three times in the last nine months. My first visit, I was in, you know, one of my first meetings and all of our phones started vibrating because you put an app on them with the, the bomb alerts and missile alerts and, and air, air attack alerts. And then you look and it tells you what to do. And, and if you have the, the, the local telegram channels, which, of course, the colleagues in the meeting did, they're like, oh, yeah, it's just one MiG-31 coming in over Belarus. Nothing to worry about. And then it buzzes again in a minute. And they're like, oh, another seven MiG-31s up. That's probably, they're probably carrying Tomahawks. Um, not Tomahawks, but I mean, they're their version of cruise missiles, the Iskander, I think it is. And so we should probably get to the bomb shelter. I'm like, okay, my first bomb shelter visit. So we pick our machines up, go downstairs into deep depths of like a parking garage. And they have all these tables set up and couches and water coolers and, and snack kits, just like, and we sit down and the conference continues. And I look around and there's another like 40 conference tables like that scattered across this big, this big parking garage. And we continue the meeting and then people start singing songs down there and um, there was happy birthdays and you're just like, like, how do they do it? Yeah. They're like, they're amazing. They're amazing. I think people always surprise you. The, the, the human condition and how resilient you, we are, it just always surprises me. Yeah. And I think when you, when you have a chance to be among a group of people that are undergoing such a thing, it gives you an openness to the to the human spirit and human condition that we don't we don't open up to at other times. And I think that um, it is one of the reasons why I think that I feel more comfortable with the partnerships I'm establishing in the Ukraine today and with the new employees we've brought on than than I have with others because I think we're connecting at a time of of, of greater humanity and need and. And it is, it is a connection you can feel. How have these personal interactions influenced how you view the, the role of business in the world? 
Um, I guess I feel humbled. I think that, you know, we, we in the tech industry in the United States have had things um, come our way really well. So the first thing is when you go into places and you realize um, and you see destruction, you everybody you talk to has lost people. Um, um, you're very humbled that we play a small role, number one. But number two, the notion that we're, we exist to generate profit as the primary mission of business, that starts going away too. You realize that we exist as businesses to support economies, to provide employment, to give people career paths and help them grow. Um, and then I think we look within our roles in society and particularly working in advertising technology, four of the six or seven most valuable companies in the world are powered entire, their profits are powered entirely or significantly by ad tech. Um, and we don't realize the importance that means in the world's economy, number one, but number two, in the world's democracies, because without advertising, media content, journalism is paid for by the state or by oligarchs, and without advertising, or by elites who can afford to buy the content. But with advertising, you can distribute news, information, entertainment broadly, and, and, and you can to everybody. And, and that's, that's essential for democracy. That's the power of the fourth estate. I started my career as a First Amendment lawyer, a newspaper lawyer. Um, and people don't realize that, that, that advertising carries a really noble burden. Um, I don't think most people pay attention to it. I think we need to reconnect with that to understand how they work together. I think we're, I think we're seeing in, in one way, unfortunately, with uh, X, what happens when you don't have advertising support and oligarchs take over. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a bully pulpit. I mean, yeah. we've seen, I, I think the, the Hearst Media Companies have done amazing things in the last 30, 40 years, but they had a history 130 years ago of being a bully pulpit company that was more about one person's point of view than others. He is full of examples of brilliant um, inventors who had very specific points of view they wanted everyone to subscribe to. Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, I mean, they were not all people that you want to you know, agree with their their politics. Um, Charles Lindbergh. I mean, we have some people that were pretty racist. Um, we have, you know, certainly some pro-Nazis among that group. And, and, and it doesn't take away from their brilliance, but there's a reason that we need broadly owned advertising supported media to make sure that, um, that we have, you know, we actually have a, um, you know, more democratic form of journalism, we'll say. Uh, what support do individuals and community need the most right now in the Ukraine? Sorry, in Ukraine. I have to, I have to keep on remembering it's not the Ukraine. It's Ukraine. Yeah, I was going to say, I was gonna say it a couple times because the Ukraine is really more of a, a Moscovy Russian imprint placed on it right. to make it seem like it's not a nation. Um, you know, I think the number one thing people in Ukraine need today, and it's a type of thing rather than a particular group, is they need a hug from their Western friends. Right now, the morale is down. I could see a significant drop in morale in these last two, two visits. And we in the United States are more used to the challenges of politics and a democracy. But 
they need a little encouragement. And this is the time I think the most important thing everyone could do is send a text, make a call, um, you know, set up a set up a FaceTime or a Zoom with some friends in Ukraine. Um, um, they need to know we're there. Like they're not going anywhere. They know this is their existential fight for life. They're not giving up, but they they'd like to know there's some people behind them that care. Let's try to look to the future. Based on your interaction, what is the outlook for the Ukraine for Ukraine's tech and business sectors? I think that once they win this war, and they will, God willing, Ukraine, Poland, Lithuania will become the fastest growing tech area in the world over the next 30 years. Um, we have the U.S. decoupling from China. So we're going to see a lot of next generation tech around agricultural tech, manufacturing tech, defense tech is going to be happening in those markets. We have young populations, very technical, very culturally consistent with all of the European markets that they'll be serving. Um, I think it's going to be, I think it is, I think they have an extraordinary future ahead. There will be immigration challenges in, in Ukraine because um, 25% of their population is not there today between the, the, the Russians taking the territory and people that have migrated out um, for safety purposes. So that will be a challenge. But I'm very optimistic about the long-term opportunities for Ukraine, but it will be once we win the war. Uh, what initiatives are in place to ensure uh, recovery and growth after the conflict? Well, I've, I've talked to a number. Of, there's, a, there's a lot of work being done by, um, by firms eager to be part of the redevelopment. Um, um, so I think there's a, and, and I think it's everything from understanding the communications infrastructure, rail, there's still a lot of Soviet era, um, railway there. If you take the train from Warsaw to Kiev, you literally have to stop halfway and have every car lifted up and the trucks taken off because the gauge of the rail changes. So there's a lot of infrastructure like that that will need to be put in place, but I think also there will need to be a lot of learning. They're doing things and adapting to a changed economy in a way that's extraordinary. I mean, the way that most drones um, get onto the battlefield from the Ukraine side are individuals in Ukraine buy them on Alibaba of Chinese components. They have them sent by DHL to their home in central or western Ukraine. They DHL is still... DHL delivers in the Ukraine. And that should be that should be an ad for the DHL. Uber, Uber's everywhere there. That's like one of the best ways to get around. So these companies, the logistics are running unbelievably. Um, the you know the new head of the strategic industries, um, Minister Commission, was running the railways, and he kept the railways running through all of this. So the resilience of their logistics is unbelievable, and that gives me a lot of hope that the, the economic development will happen. Probably one of the biggest things that's going to need to happen will be demining because the number of mines that have been deployed, um, explosive mines, is off the charts. Literally, in a lot of these fields, they say there are five or six in every square meter. What, what role does education play in recovery? It's going to be really important. They have, right now, they're, they're, the primary schools and secondary schools, are, they're operating in, in, in the, a lot of the major cities in the east are operating in the metro stations because they're the bomb shelters. So rather than having the kids go down and up and down and up, they're doing that. There's quite a bit of distance-based education over video, but they know the importance of getting people together. There's been a lot of disruption of the universities. 
Um, Carousel State University has now moved to a city to the west. Um, I would say they're doing a lot, but you know, the longer it goes on, the the more gaps that they're going to be in the education system there. Yeah, I know this hasn't hasn't been your first cause, and Scott Schiller wanted me to ask you, like, why do you do this, and what have you learned, and how can other people emulate you? Um, well, <laughs> I love Scott. Um, yeah, I have no connection to Ukraine. I have no familiar connection. I'd never been there, and it. I I cared. I just I I felt like we need to do something. And it was one of those places that was very, it was very clear. There's good and there's bad. Um, I guess I, I don't know that I'm someone to emulate. I just, I, I just ask people to, to step up and, and, and take a point of view, have a position, understand the importance of, of not being a fence sitter. I think that we have a, we have a nation and an industry of fence sitters that, that like to keep things going and don't want to get involved either way. And what I tell people when I give talks in Ukraine is that, I mean, in the U.S. Revolution, I remember this so well from history, and it's, you know, we had about a third of the, a third of the country were patriots, a third of the country were loyalists, and a third were fence-sitters. And the patriots knew they had a limited amount of time to gain victories over the loyalists, or the fence-sitters were going to be on the opposite side, and they would be and so I would just ask people not to sit on the fence. Like, whatever you are, take your position and be it and recognize it matters. Is there a point in your career where you realized that being a CEO was more than just business? Like, that you just yeah, said, I this think, is not I, all I want to be? Well, I mean, I grew up, I mean, I grew up as a lawyer. My father was in politics. Um, I come from a place in Western Pennsylvania where many more people go to the military than go to college. I mean, I'm from a very poor, small uh, coal town. And, and, you know, I think you just realize that, like, when you're responsible for a number of people and you're responsible for a business, it's got to be more than what's in the spreadsheet. You have to go home and feel good about something. You have to have something to talk to your significant other, your loved one, a parent, a friend. Like, what did you do today? Like, what did you learn today? Like, there has to be more. I really appreciate your time. I'm glad we finally got the tech issue solved. I um, hope we can get you back on for a roundtable and maybe you and yeah. Scott. I would like to keep up the great work. I, I, I love I love your work. It's 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 um, it's fresh. It's hitting a lot of new points that others haven't. And, it, and it's helpful. And that's all, folks. Please consider sponsoring Adotat to keep independent and really witty tech journalism alive. We can't run this on good feelings and rainbows.